Coming to you from Whidbey Island, Washington, this is Stories from Women Who Walk. You'll recognize yourself in these true life stories from women who are walking their lives while their lives walk them and the lasting difference these journeys have made. I'm your host, Diane Wisga. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with my guest, Daphna Gold Melchior, who joined us from Jerusalem, Israel. Daphna is a clarifier. As a clarifier, Daphna teaches researchers and entrepreneurs how to sharpen their message and communicate with clarity so they are prepared to clearly and concisely speak about the value of their work to high-stakes audiences. As an entrepreneur herself who is striving for a global client base, I asked Daphna, how do your clients find you? Let's hear what she has to say about this very vital building block for any enterprise, as well as becoming a podcaster, reaching for the almost impossible and the bold shift into her professional dreams. either word of mouth or I don't believe in cold calling at all. I don't tend to just send out spammy type of, not only because of the permission marketing truths that we've learned with Seth, but because I don't even think it's effective. I don't think that anybody likes to suddenly be suddenly be contacted out of the blue when there's no context and they don't know the person. And that's if it even makes it into their inbox and not into their spam. What I do sometimes is I reach out to friends of friends through the friend, right? I think that to network effectively and respectfully is to look at your own contacts and people, especially professional contacts who know the value of your work. So for example, I think that my best testimonials would come from those researchers and entrepreneurs who have seen the value of how I help them. So if such a researcher or an entrepreneur is willing to introduce me to somebody, if I see that they have a contact with a university, with an accelerator, with someone who I would love to work with and to help them as well, if they're willing to write the intro for me to that person and say, we've worked with Daphna, she's helped us significantly, we would recommend that if you have researchers or entrepreneurs to prepare for such high stakes opportunity that you check her out, I feel like that is so much of a seal of approval because it lowers the risk and it shortens the journey to trust on the part of that new would-be client. And there have definitely been times when such an introduction has led to new work. I also believe that building up your reputation over time is something valuable in having people discover you and discover what you do. And that's part of the purpose of getting into a regular podcasting practice and blogging practice and creating a body of work that people can experience. And first of all, first and foremostly learn from and get value out of, right? It drives me nuts when I see posts that it's so clear that the only purpose of them is self-aggrandizement. Is that how you pronounce that word? That makes me crazy, right? When you see, I did this and I met this person today and I'm so fabulous, right? It's like, can I have my three minutes back? 
I never want anybody <laughs> to consume any of my content and feel like I want 20 minutes of my life back, which also <laughs> has been kind of a hindering, a hindering force in, do I really have something of unique new value to offer people? Because if I don't, I don't want to take up any of their time, right? It's been kind of some internal work for me to feel like, wait a minute, if you don't share with people what it is that you have to offer them, you're keeping from them something valuable. And you'll never know, just like in education, just like in teaching, you never know what you've done, right? My high school teachers or my elementary school teachers that were most influential in my life didn't know back then what it was that they were giving me that now years later is valuable to me and is something that I use, right? Even that journalist I was talking about before, I don't think that she could have imagined 20 years ago what she was doing for me by taking me under her wing and mentoring me and, and teaching me things. So who am I to say that any content that I create isn't going to end up being valuable and turning on a light, again, as Seth sometimes uses that phrase, for somebody else, who, who am I to keep it from them? So that's kind of a shift that I've had to, because I'm very, very conscious of not wasting other people's time and of being sure that if... I'm occupying space. There's so much trash and so much noise on social and so much, right? It just makes it so crowded and it makes it so hard to find the really valuable things. I want to be sure that if I'm sharing something and that I'm asking somebody for their most valuable and unreplenishable resource, their time and their attention, that I've actually fully justified it by giving them something of value to them. And that's certainly what I intend to do by means of the new podcast that actually launched today. Oh, oh. okay. Then I have 50 questions, but go ahead. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Since, since we're here, the podcast is called Even Remotely Effective. Is that correct? That was my first podcast. That was oh, my first no. iteration of a podcast. No, no, I did. I did create I Even Remotely Effective. I did. So, <laughs> so like you, I was, I was lucky to be part of one of Seth's um, workshops called the Podcasting Fellowship. And <laughs> I had joined it because I loved the audio medium and I had done a stint with radio during my undergrad in communication. And I thought, okay, this is the new radio, fun. Little did I know that on day one of the fellowship, it was like that the first prompt, the first assignment was, so what's your podcast going to be about? I was like, what's it going to be about? I don't have one. I came here to learn how to, how to do it. What do you mean? What's it about? But I wasn't yep. actually ripe to create one. I didn't have a concept. I wanted to learn the technical skills. I already knew how to interview from all of the public relations and spokesperson work, but I didn't know the technical side of podcasting. And that's what I wanted to learn. And of course I met amazing people. And long story short, as soon as COVID hit, it occurred to me that something that I could finally apply with regard to the, to the skills that I learned was I could create a podcast to help people who are adjusting and who were thrown into this reality of working remotely when usually they got up in the morning, got dressed, and went to an office somewhere, and suddenly they're juggling their kid and their cat, and I don't know what else, while they're trying to work from home. So that was even remotely effective. It was an on-the-spot spur of the moment decision to try to offer value to people in practical tips. And I created 13 episodes within a couple of weeks and I aired them. And after 13 episodes, I felt several things. I felt like I kind of exhausted the topic. <laughs> and most importantly, I felt like, wait a minute, this isn't my thing. I'm not the working remotely girl. <laughs> I'm the message clarity girl. <laughs> so I felt like 
maybe I would have a lot more fuel to want to continue working on a podcast with all of the work that it takes to create a good one, as I'm sure you know very well, if I was actually working on subject matter that was perfectly aligned with what I do professionally. And then it would also generate endless ideas because when you're working in your passion project, then you constantly want to know more about it yourself and your audience can feel your authentic excitement about it, right? And after a really short second podcast, which I created for an engineering college called Getting From A to B, which is the name of that accelerator, uh, which was interviewing some entrepreneurs about their journey through this accelerator, then it was like, okay, now I need to create my one big podcast, which is actually aligned with what I do. So today I shipped the first episode of Let's Clarify It, which is exactly the same name as my brand, as my website that I'm going to launch very soon, as my, right? That's the name of the podcast. And the idea, the concept for Let's Clarify It is to have some hosts on mic in order to share some insights of mine with people, especially researchers and entrepreneurs on how they can sharpen their message for a specific audience and become more impactful and amplify their impact in the world and interview guests, either researchers and entrepreneurs who can share their own insights from when was clarity of message really crucial and pivotal in their careers, or in the case of the first episode that I shipped today, for example, fellow experts in communications, in strategic communication. My first episode was with a childhood friend of mine who's a copywriter. And she shares all kinds of insights on clarity of message in copywriting. So I intend to also speak with experts in different areas of communication on clarity in their medium. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's about all the wordsmith has right now. It's just wow. Here's something um, that I've I've learned over time, um, which is that people do not pivot into something wonderful, such as you've just described, from a place of wonderful. The pivot usually takes place from concerns or uncertainties or reflections or hiccups along the way. And I've watched some of this take place, um, as I imagine you have in me, as both of us have uh, been drinking from the Akimbo fire hydrant with the marketing seminar. And I'm curious to know how have these past months, maybe even years, of hashing out thoughts and reflections and trying this and discarding it and trying that. How has all of that prepared you for being where you are today? Okay. So in my case, I actually don't think that it's something that grew out of uh, a crisis or out of a hardship. In my case, I think that it's actually that my reflection, again, the parallel tracks of professional versus parenthood, my youngest kid just turned 12. And I feel like in the recent years, as he, as my youngest child, has grown old enough and independent enough that, and this is even before COVID, that suddenly I'm able, for the first time since I became a parent 21 years ago, to see my professional trajectory not 
first and foremost through the lens of, okay, but can I still get back from doing that professional thing in time to pick up the kids and have lunch with them and take them to basketball practice? I feel like for the first time since I, you know, since before I became a parent, I can actually prioritize my work in the world, right? And and it can harmoniously fill up a lot more space than it could when my parenting was much more intensive as was mandated by younger children. So I think that in my case, it's actually kind of a coming of age and stage that since they're older and more independent, yes, they need me. Yes, I love interacting with them and helping them with things and actually <laughs> when when I speak with parents of much younger children or with my siblings who have much younger children, I think that one of the main differences with parenting older kids at this point is that on one hand, the everyday is simpler, right? I don't have to feed anybody. I don't have to shower anybody. But the gravity of making mistakes, <laughs> I feel, is much worse <laughs> with older kids because the issues that they're dealing with are so much more serious and have so much more of an impact on their lives than the little things of, of everyday dependency. But so, so yes, I am definitely very much still a very hands-on parent and I'm very involved and I, and it kind of comes and goes in waves. Suddenly, you know, my, my oldest son is in the army, suddenly he's home, suddenly I can do things for him and then he's not. And the one who got married, I have very few opportunities to interact with him. But when he, when I do with them, it's intense and I love it, but it's kind of roller coastery. But I do feel like on an everyday basis, I have many more hours a day than I used to over those two decades to devote to where am I going professionally. So I think that that's actually, I think it was actually the kind of somewhat suppressed hunger to realize who am I professionally and not just who am I professionally after I've put everybody to bed that is now actually bubbling with possibility as far as I'm concerned. And actually right before COVID, I was thinking about how do I take what I'm already doing in helping researchers and entrepreneurs sharpen messaging for high stakes opportunities, how do I take that international? For the most part, I've worked in Israel with Israelis. And maybe that also ties full circle back to the Israel's ambassador to the UN. How do I take what I've learned and what I do with Israeli researchers and entrepreneurs and offer it to British researchers and entrepreneurs, which is a hop, skip, and a jump across the Mediterranean and up from Europe? You know, I love the States and I'd be happy to come there as well. It's a little bit further. But that's certainly, that was on my bucket list. On my bucket list for, for right before COVID hit was how do I turn what I'm doing into an international practice? And yes, it's certainly doable now in that regard. It's almost helpful that it kind of leveled the playing field that everybody's doing everything remotely because nobody even has to consider, do we need to pay travel? Do we not need to pay travel? No, we just need to switch on our online platform and do it. So part of my thinking then was, okay, I'm taking it international. I still want to do that. And actually, Israel has started massively vaccinating, and I really hope that that's going to bring COVID to a healthy end. And I really hope that that reaches everybody around the world very soon. Here we are, very beginning of January, two weeks into vaccinating, one million out of nine million people in the state of Israel are vaccinated with the first of two vaccines already. Yeah, well, you guys always did everything first. <laughs> Startup nation, right? See, that's why it it's is. a privilege to work with researchers and entrepreneurs. That's the type of world-changing innovation that I feel privileged to do my little part in helping them create the type of collaborations that they need in order to make these things happen. I feel like their strongest tool, beyond obviously their professional scientific craft, their strongest tool 
in creating the types of collaborations they need, first and foremost with funders, but also collaboration across silos, across industries, right? It's all about the inter and the multidisciplinary. I feel like their words, their clarity of what are you doing? Why is the alternative that you're proposing better? In what ways will it be more effective, more just, more accessible, more something than the way we're doing it now? Because anytime you're asking anybody to make a change, so many organizations, especially large bureaucratic ones, tend to be change resistant and change averse. And if you're asking anybody to do something different from the way they're doing it, certainly a big system, you better be very clear about what the benefit is for them in making this change that you're proposing. And that's what I'm very, very honored to be able to help world game changers do. For those who are listening and are considering changing to becoming an entrepreneur, to starting up their own business, what three things would you like to say to them? Because you've covered a lot of ground in terms of your own evolution, your professionalism, starting a podcast, putting down one idea, picking up another, the, the role of parenting throughout all of this, the discoveries that you've made, the learnings that you've, you've taken on. What three things would you like to say to someone who is interested in following in those footsteps? In creating a career in the field that I've that I've created for myself? Just generally. In, in becoming an entrepreneur. Correct. In becoming an entrepreneur. Well, I'm guessing the people that want to become entrepreneurs, let's see. I, I'm guessing that they probably have a strong passion to create a product or a service to make a real change in the world and that that's their passion and their fuel for it. So first of all, they would have to be very, very clear about what is the thing that they're trying to change and who back to, back to Seth, who is it for and what is it for? They need to be very, very clear about who is this product for and what is it for? It's not for everybody and it's not for everything. It's probably improving on something that exists right? Because if you say that you're the only one and the first one, it's so hard in 2021 to be the first one in the world who's done anything. If you say that you're the first one to ever think of anything even remotely like this idea, chances are either you haven't done your homework and there are other people in that competitive landscape, but you just haven't learned who they are yet, or there's no market for it yet. And maybe it's really, really early days and you'll have to find those truly early adopter fabulous geek types who would even be interested in it for them to be able to start creating a market for it. So what would they need? They would need clarity with regard to who it's for and what it's for. I would say that they need to be realistic that these processes of developing something new take time and therefore that they shouldn't count on that as any kind of immediate or short-term source of income. And therefore, Either they should be doing it in parallel to having a salaried position if they're not independently well off enough that they can afford to try these things out uh, and, and right, but they, they need to still be able to pay their rent, then they need to sort that out because these types of processes take time. So they're not they're not um, money generating in any in any short term. Let's see what else. I think that accelerators, from what I've seen, are very, very helpful programs, and that finding a really good quality accelerator, like the kind that we have here in Israel, I'm less familiar with the ones, I'm sure there are great accelerators in other places as well. Um, in Israel, we have some really top-notch accelerator programs in which somebody comes in at one end with an idea and comes out the other end with the beginnings of a company and with the beginnings of skill sets of 
how to raise funding, how to create a business plan, how to build up your network, how to develop a team, kind of basic training for everything you need to know in order to go from I've got an idea to I've got a really, really early stage company. And I think that's a great idea. I think that having, you know what, growth mindset, having a growth mindset, right? Apropos of Carol Dweck's research, having a growth mindset is super valuable for any human being, whether they want to be an entrepreneur or not, right? Her original book was actually about, I read it in the context, the person who had recommended it to me was the principal, the headmaster of the um, school that my kids attended a day a week. It was a school for gifted children. And the program was that children were able to attend it one day a week instead of their regular school program. So most of the week, they were with an entire diverse class. And one day a week, they were with other gifted children that really needed to be super challenged. And, and the principal of that school recommended to us to read Carol Dweck's um, growth, growth Mindset book. And I find that it applies to everybody in terms of the difference between the basic thesis there is that everybody maybe at this point in time has either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, but that the greatest news is it's something that you can develop and evolve. You can, you can evolve into a growth mindset. If you're open to seeing an event, not as a failure and what I need to do now is defend my crown of weight, but I'm good at this. So I'm already really good at this. So I'm not going to try something that I'm not good at lest I fail, but rather, and this is probably one of the secrets of why Israel is such a startup nation, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to try something and to sandbox it and to discover, wait a minute, that wasn't the thing. Okay, so you brush yourself off. And more importantly, what did I learn from what didn't work the way I thought it would? Okay, how do I use that for fuel for my next iteration of it? And the legitimacy culturally of it's okay to try something and you know, you're not you're not trying to waste anybody's money or endanger anybody or do anything bad on purpose. You're going about it responsibly and respectfully and after you've done your homework, and then you have the right to try it. You gave it your best shot, and then let's learn it and let's reverse engineer it and understand where something went awry relative to what you had hoped it would result in, and then how do we apply those learnings going forward? I think that kind of mindset is helpful, that iterative, okay, so what can we learn from this and how can we apply this going forward is helpful not only to entrepreneurs or researchers, it's helpful to all of us. So with that in mind, that fall down seven, get up eight is actually a really good way to be, to reach for the odds, to take on a challenge, even though the chances of success might be slim. With with that in mind, I understand that you recently applied for a leadership course, and I'm and I'm hearing that the boy I don't the chutzpah the <laughs> exactly that's a great word, isn't it? It's, it's it translates roughly to the good kind of audacity. <laughs> it is it, my mother's mother. Um, use Yiddish all the time for many different reasons. And that was one that I do remember for from my childhood. But in any event, um, that's a whole nother conversation. I'd, I'd like to know, uh, you know, what just fired you up to go through all the steps to complete that application, come what may? What is it with me and applications, huh? So this one I actually <laughs> submitted. 
<laughs> okay. So I became aware that there was a professional network being created among researchers and CEOs and government officials across all in all different um, across all different silos within this particular field in question, okay? And they were creating this network in order to advance projects, large-scale, global, certainly national, but also global projects in these fields that require industry-academia collaboration or industry-government collaboration or government-academia, right? All of the different bridgings that take place. And the network was defined as strictly for professionals who are at the top of that field. Right. So it would be people who are very much accredited, say, uh, doctorate and postdoc level and other types of accreditations in these fields, which I am not. However, I was intrigued that these are the people that I love serving and these are the people that I loved working with, that I've always loved working with. And it occurred to me that if they and, and I just saw a call for for applications to their next cohort. And basically what they do is they do projects together. It's not a, a salaried position or anything. These are people, movers and shakers of this industry that want to advance the field and want to brand Israel as the leader that it is in this field. And it occurred to me that if they would be open to the idea of having someone with my skill set in-house rather than an external occasional service provider, that it would super that it would certainly be super interesting for me to get to have rightfully, a chair at the table with these people who I'm in awe of the work that they do, and that I could make my contribution to these types of projects by being not a fly on the wall, but a person at the table who could listen to them speaking to one another and help them accelerate, amplify, further advance what it is that they're doing through what it is that I know how to do in, in message clarity. So even though it was a very humbling <laughs> and chutzpah kind of experience to fill out a form, knowing that I didn't check the majority of the boxes because I'm certainly not the classic target audience of this cohort, I thought that the worst thing that can happen is that they'll politely decline. And a, an intermediary, something interesting that could happen is that they could decide, okay, well, she doesn't actually fit our cohort, but she's interesting. And here she is on our desk. And maybe we could invite her sometime to work with these people as a one-off offsite training or something. And who knows, maybe by the time this episode is, <laughs> is broadcast, I'll be able to share with you if miraculously they decided to take a chance on me and let me be part of the cohort, even though I don't have the standard skill set of what it is that they're looking for. But it felt it felt brave to try. It felt stretchy. It felt right. It felt ambitious. Uh, and I guess that that's what led me to give it a shot. I was going to ask you about reaching for the odds. And I think you've just said it. It felt brave. It felt stretchy. It felt possible, regardless, regardless of what the outcome is, you threw it, you threw your hat in the ring and said, let's go, let's go. And as you explain what the possible alternatives are, you are linking them together with an and or a however. I may not get this, uh, however, I could get that. And I could get this other thing. So it's a really marvelous listen to you know what? I'm going to step out. I'm going to do something stretchy. 
I'm going to see what happens. And meanwhile, I'm kind of thinking about the ways in which it could unfold that maybe they didn't anticipate when they put this application process out there. So we'll see what happens. When, when will you get to hear one way or the other, do you think? It's now the beginning of January and supposedly their application process, I mean, the, the submission date was the end of December. So they are already <laughs> pouring over the, the applications. I think that during January, they're making their preliminary decisions, but I'm not, I'm really trying to just, okay, <laughs> again, in a, in a Seth Godin term, I shipped it, I shipped the application, I sent it in and now it's out of my hands, right? And I, I also felt this kind of exhale because I was really deliberating. Should I, shouldn't I, it took some time. The application was a lengthy process. I had to prepare all kinds of materials for it. I had to find references for it. I actually found two references from within the network and that, that were happy to recommend me, which further emboldened me that maybe this wasn't a totally crazy idea. But I, I just had to then exhale, okay, that's it. It's out of my hands now. And I'm not constantly obsessing. Yes, I'm sure I'm gonna feel this flutter when I see an email one way or another until I see what it says. And of course, secretly, I'm really hoping that they're going to say yes. But I, meanwhile, I'm just trying to, okay, it was, it was a value trying to just making that attempt, just, just striving. And that also reminds me of connecting with my 20 year old self, because that's the kind of thing that my 20 year old self would do. My 20 year old self, who was going to be a social ambassador to the UN, who was going to be an army general, you know, who wouldn't take no for an answer, who hadn't heard the word feminism per se, but wasn't going to let anybody tell her off for anything for being a girl. Even though I grew up in traditional and still am part of traditional Jewish orthodoxy in which there's definitely a very clear division of, say, public positions in the synagogue between men and women. But that's for another, <laughs> another conversation. But there was something about having the chutzpah to go ahead and try something that is far from me and that I don't necessarily, right, um, that, that the chances are slim, but go for it anyway. That's something, that's a part of me that I think I may have, together with the parenting, I may have just put it aside during these 20 years. And again, I feel like I'm, I'm coming, coming back into my own and, and allowing myself to occupy my own space apropos of making sure I don't want to take up other people's time, feeling like it's legitimate to occupy space and occupy time. And it's not only about serving others, but it's also, okay, what do I want to do? And what are my aspirations? So I guess it's also about finding, finding a balance between those and reconnecting with, you know, a, a girl with really big dreams and, and uh, shooting for them. I imagine that your experience is shared worldwide by women who, for whatever reason, put a dream aside, put a dream to rest, are coming back across that box, opening it up and looking inside. Um, I'm fond of um, a British stage play, which eventually became a movie uh, called uh, Shirley Valentine. And in the course of the movie, she asks herself about the girl who used to be me. And that essence of ourselves when we were, say, nine and nothing was impossible or maybe it was impossible. And so it just took us a little longer to get here. But I think your words are very profound and very healing 
to women who might be hearing this to say it's not too late and to look at that younger self. Ask yourself about that younger self. Sit with that younger self and say, what do you want to do now? How do you want to live? How should we go forward together? So it's, um, it's oftentimes, I think, um, experience that comes with time and being, as I say, you know, here in Middle Earth age, never quite expected to get here, the girl with the grandmother face. And yet uh, what's led up to it has given me um, a different understanding. Uh, a different way of looking at the world. And as you say, now it's time. Now, now it is time. Now it is Daphna's time, which is going to be something to sit back and go, oh, wow, <laughs> wow for. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, as we begin to wrap up, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I asked you about the word legacy, and you said you're, that's a heavy word and you're too young. So I'd like to phrase it this way. Um, as we sit here uh, today, what would you like to see happen in the world as a result of the work that you're doing, connecting people, communicating, podcasting ideas, um, throwing leadership course applications in, into the ring? What would you like to see happen? I would like to see more opportunities realized thanks to people being able to communicate very clearly the value of what they're doing, and that would then afford them the connections that they need in order to make them happen. And it's always a great privilege to be any part of that. Obviously, I want to see lots of that going on that I have nothing to do with, but I certainly would love to be able to continue to be involved in helping all sorts of professionals do the important work that they're doing in the world by means of connecting with the different types of partners that they need to complement their skill set with the partner's skill set in order to manifest things, products, services, right? Revolutionary ideas that can help heal the world and heal the populations and, right, not just science and technology related, but for any of the world's challenges that humanity is taking on trying to address in different ways, whether it's trying to repair any of the damage that humans have caused through other types of innovations when they couldn't have known what those innovations were gonna to lead to. So we're certainly seeing lots of environmental leaning, right? Uh, reversing, reversing the damage by means of new innovation that hopefully there's already enough knowledge to know that those new types of innovation won't cause further harm. But yeah, I would love to see, I would love to see healing. I would love to see goodness. I would love to see people being able to live good, healthy lives around the world and uh, having access to everything that they need in order to all have opportunities to contribute. And I'm, I'm again, very privileged to feel like I can be part of that, part of promoting that. So before I say thank you, I want to mention that all social media links and connections to Daphna and her website and her podcast will be posted in the episode notes. 
I encourage everyone who is listening to drop by to say hello to Daphna. Uh, consider consulting with her. And if it's not suitable for you, perhaps there is a connection that you can make and pass it on because all of this is like uh, grape jelly on a toddler. We spread it around. And the more we spread it around, the more good we make in the world. I want to thank you very much, Daphna, for walking along with us and sharing your life journey with us. Um, I trust that it's going to be of very good use and inspiration to people who are listening, even though they don't know what good use and inspiration it might offer to them. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Diane, for hosting me. And thanks for the amazing, inspiring work that you do. And I can't wait to host you here in Israel when you come to the Israel Trail. I'm there. Have boots, have backpack, have passport. And then when you get to the States to do your international work, the door is always open out here on Whidbey Island. Can't wait. Thank you, Diane. Happy 2021. Woohoo! And to you. Here we are at the end of the road, but not the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories from Women Who Walk with your host, Diane Wisga, and my guest, Davna Gold-Melchior, noted podcaster, message clarifier, and the founder of Let's Clarify It, a communication clarifying company with global aspirations based in Jerusalem, Israel. Please take a moment to check out Daphna's website and podcast, Let's Clarify It, to learn more and perhaps work together. All links to social media are in the episode notes. You are also invited to check out over 300 episodes of stories from Women Who Walk found on Simplecast or your favorite podcast platform. This is the place to thrive together. Come for the stories, stay for the magic. Speaking of magic, I hope you'll subscribe, follow, share a nice shout out on your social media or podcast channel of choice, and join us next time. You will have wonderful company as we walk our lives together. <laughs>